Hello, and welcome to Unleash Your Inner Creative with Lauren LaGrasso. My name is Lauren LaGrasso. I'm your host, and this show is meant to help you make creativity the filter for your life, redefine your relationship with fear, and help you step into the full essence of who you are and claim your right to have a dream and take up space because you deserve it. And last week at the top of the show, I gave you a creative challenge, and that challenge was to make any sort of creative entity that it was inspired by the word bird. This could be a painting, a skit, a dance, a Play-Doh sculpture, whatever you want. I did the challenge, and I'm excited because it's actually like the first song I've written while in quarantine. And so I wrote a little song. I didn't finish it, but I have a verse, a pre-chorus, and a chorus, and I'm going to play that at the very end of the show after the outro, so stay tuned for that. I want you to send me the things that you've made, so please send them to Unleash Your Inner Creative on Instagram, and in the meantime, I'm going to give you the challenge for this coming week. This week's creative challenge is to use the word blue, blue like the color, to create anything that you feel inspired to make. Like I said, it could literally be anything, a piece of art, food, a game you play with your kids. Let your imagination drive you, but use the word blue. Okay, and now to the creative check-in. So big thing for me this week was that my second single, Rise, came out. And I just want to take a minute and say thank you for all your support. You've all been listening to the song. Some of you have posted about it. So thank you so much. If you haven't checked it out already, it's on every streaming platform imaginable. It's on iTunes, Apple Music, Spotify, all the places. So go listen wherever you get your music. And the other big thing that happened to me this week was that I had an article in People magazine. This was objectively the biggest thing that has ever happened to me in my music career. It was a huge, huge moment. I actually woke up on Saturday and I thought to myself, you know what, Lauren? Even if nothing else ever happens, like you get to go to the grave knowing you had a write-up in People magazine. It was like a really cool, pivotal moment. You know, I've been working and hustling and trying to get my artist career off the ground for a really long time, and I still have a ways to go, but that was like a huge win after grinding it out for like eight years to have that moment. So let it inspire you. You know, you never know when big moments are going to come, and when they do, try to savor them. So just like a huge thank you. Please go check it out. You can find it just by Googling Lauren LaGrasso People Magazine. And thanks again to People, Tomas, the writer, and my friend Paria. So long story short, I was riding a high from the release and this wonderful career highlight of having an article in People Magazine. And then, unfortunately, I had an interaction that kind of knocked the wind out of me. And you know when you have one of those beautiful moments in life and and you're kind of like on a cloud of life just for a minute. I mean, and you know, this has been a traumatic time. So having something to be excited about and look forward to is a big effing deal. Okay. Especially when it's something like this, it's something about your creativity that you've built your life around and that you've really been striving for since you were a little kid. Like this is a big fucking deal. Okay. So just picture that I'm I'm floating on this little cloud of, you know, a real moment of gratitude 
and pride for what I built and how it's come to fruition in this moment. And then I had an interaction that just knocked the wind out of me. And it was worse because I just didn't expect it. This was a person who had previously been super supportive and it was totally left field. So I received some rather harsh criticism about the release from someone who was very important to me shortly after all this happened. And they were calling out something I did surrounding the release that was very innocent, but they were calling it into question. And I don't know if I've ever mentioned this. I think I have mentioned it on the show, but I have a thing where, but growing up and still today, I've always had I don't want to say a desire, but a need to fulfill the role of the good girl at being good, no matter the personal or emotional cost to me. And so when somebody makes me feel as if something I've done is bad, especially when I was coming at it with a pure heart, I'm instantly put into shame and feelings of being wrong. Now, when I was like a little kid, this is a true story. I would put myself in the corner. No one told me to go in the corner, but like if someone made me feel even like a hint bad about something I had done, I would shame myself. So like that's where I'm coming at life from that perspective of feeling like I'm bad, even though I'm trying everything in my power to be good. So this person was calling out something I did surrounding the release that was really innocent and they put it into question and I was instantly put into shame and feelings of being wrong. And instead of calling them on their BS... I took it on myself and apologized because I was so shocked by the accusation that I, and I'm sorry that I'm speaking in riddles here, but I really can't reveal anything. So I'm trying to be as honest without saying anything as I can be. So instead of being like, no, that's not true. I took it on because like, I just, first of all, didn't expect it. Second of all, have this desire to be good girl. Third of all, like, I mean, those are the main two things. (laughs) So days later, I'm feeling mad for a couple of reasons. Days later after this accusation came at me. The biggest one being is that this whole experience made me realize how much I've sacrificed in my life to be a quote unquote good girl. I've tried my whole life to be good, but most of the time it's been at my own expense. And so this is a limiting label for me. I... I want to be a good person, but I don't want to be a good girl. There's a there's a fine line, but it's a difference. And I want to call to you to look at the limiting labels you've maybe put on yourself. Sometimes these labels could be posing as your friend because good girl sounds kind of like a nice thing. But in action, it actually, it's I think what's kept me from stepping into the light before now. It's made me feel like I should be humble and I should be small and I should shrink and I don't want to ever make anyone else feel uncomfortable so I just won't say what I really want or who I really am. You know, I've had moments of stepping out of that. But if it if for a second I thought it was making somebody else uncomfortable, I would step back. So it was in that criticism I received when I cowered down for the rest of the day. I had my tail between my legs, feeling as if I was bad when I'd done nothing wrong because I'd been shamed. And this was just days after my biggest moment in the spotlight as a creative. So don't let limiting labels that you've put on yourself and others' limiting beliefs take away from who you really are and from any beautiful moments you get to experience as a creative or otherwise. 
question what those labels or beliefs are for you. Like start to really, really notice them and then start to do what you can to shed them. That's what I'm doing. Actually, that's what the song that I wrote that I'm sharing with you at the end of the show is about. It's about shedding those labels and instead embracing who you really are. Okay, now to our guest. Her name is Megan Gallagher. She is an author, mental health advocate, public speaker, and host. Best known for her work on AfterBuzz TV, her TEDx talks, and for being a best-selling author on Amazon. I wanted to have Megan on the show because she is so open about her struggle with anxiety and her path to finding and listening to her own voice. She's young, just 24, but she's already tackled her mental health head-on, gotten through a major health struggle, and changed her course to go straight toward her dreams instead of taking a more traditional path. Through sharing her journey to mental health and how she followed her purpose, I know you'll get plenty of practical takeaways to help you start to forge your own path. From our conversation, you'll learn actionable tools to manage anxiety, how to figure out your triggers, hear your inner voice, what a panic attack really feels like, clues from your body about your mental health, the biggest misconceptions about therapy, how to break into public speaking, self-publish a book, and so much more. Oh, and also, please note, we recorded this prior to the lockdown, so if you hear us reference being in person, that's why. Now here she is, Megan Gallagher. I want to talk a little bit about your story. So I watched your TED Talk, and you very vividly paint the picture of you as a freshman in English class. Mm-hmm. I think you were studying the Odyssey. Yes. <laughs> which is already a little bit of a rough ride. And you started having what you recognize as your first panic attack. So yes. can you take me through that? I vividly remember it like it was yesterday, too, because... Just sitting in my English class freshman year of high school, it was hot and stuffy already, and we're just talking about the book The Odyssey and the characters and what they mean to us. And all of a sudden, I just remember I felt like I got struck with just this something, and then I felt immediately a pit in my stomach. I felt my – like when you're dropping in an elevator or an airplane too quick, and you just feel that that stomach lurch, and then the room got really hot. I got sweaty. My – tunnel vision the room kind of started spinning and I was like under the desk like pinching my hands and I'm like wait whoa your hands were under the desk and you were pinching them you weren't physically under the desk no my (laughs) hands were under the desk and I was just trying to not make a scene right. and not have people see me, but I was pinching my hands. And to make sure you were like alive and with it. And yeah. just trying to focus on something else. Like, oh my gosh, I don't know what's going on. And then the feeling kind of wouldn't go away. So I immediately said, um, can I go to the bathroom? And then I got the hall pass and then sprinted outside. And I, in that moment too, I felt, what was that? Mm-hmm. That was the scariest feeling ever. And I didn't know, I just, I couldn't put a name on it, but it was that awful panic attacks. That feeling is so horrible. And it's so scary when you are in public and you don't know what's going on. So that moment really triggered something in my mind. And then for the next almost three years, my mind started anticipating that that moment would happen every day, 10 a.m. English class. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. So it's like your body was like trying to protect you from it, but in protecting you from it, it made it worse. Exactly. Yeah. It's, I think in my case, anticipatory anxiety is all about wanting control over what you don't have control over. You can't predict how tomorrow is going to turn out, but like you said, it's my brain is trying to protect itself, 
but in the long run, it's actually hurting itself by mm-hmm. trying to have control, keep control, and forcing my body into feeling a certain way that feels foreign. So you talk about how you were having these recurring over and over and over again throughout your freshman year, but you held it inside for a long time. So I'm curious, okay, how did you, first of all, end up revealing to your parents that this was going on with you, but why did you keep it inside for so long? I kept it inside because I was so embarrassed by it and I felt so weird and I felt that it was a weird secret and that it was shameful and bad and like if I were to sit my parents down and blab to them that they would send me off to some boarding school some like mental I really felt that that they even today yes what gave you that idea I didn't know what was going on in my body Mm. and I felt that I was doing something wrong or that I was inflicting this on myself. So I thought my parents would be like, okay, Megan, we're sending you away to (laughs) a mental camp in the woods or something alternative school. But it was, it was actually only five months into my freshman year where that fear wasn't worth it anymore because I, my grades were slowly slipping my social life, like I would hang out with friends, but then I only kind of when I wanted to and just, I don't know, I had a hard time. I was always the funny one using my sense of humor and I just would never eat meals at school. My friends would kind of be like, Megan, you're not, you don't ever eat lunch. You just sit there and kind of laugh and it's just weird. Aren't you ever hungry? And I just had developed so many stories in my head of Mm. you're going to puke in your class after lunch and then because it's all about a fear of control and I want control and if I don't have it then that means I'm embarrassing myself in front of people so it was hard (laughs) yeah yeah it sounds like you were in like a personal fight club for so long so how did it get to the point where you felt strong enough to finally say something to your parents and how did you approach it I felt it had reached a point where it didn't feel right to me because I naturally am a really open person. I love talking to my parents. I love being close. And I felt that my anxiety was turning me into someone I wasn't. And it was kind of making me want to just shut off and close up and feel just that I couldn't tell anyone. But I felt literally like a boiling teapot on the stove. I just couldn't do this anymore. And I couldn't feel these feelings and these episodes throughout the day and then just act like it's not affecting me in all seven classes and then it got way too much and it was exhausting too to have you know up to 15 panic attacks at school you're trying to get good grades you're in high school there's already so many other things going on and to come home my mom would just be like oh my gosh I mean you look so exhausted like what just happened and then I would say midway through my sophomore year of high school that I after dinner, my sister was in her room and I knew it was a good time and I just, <laughs> my hands were shaking so much. Mm. And I was like, Megan, just do it. Just tell them how you feel. Because I, I also thought medically something was really wrong. So I was scared that I was going to die or something. And then I said, mom, dad, can you guys turn off the TV for a second? They were like, okay. And they just sit with me and I never forget, <laughs> I was just picking my nails under the table. I was like, I love you both so much, but, and then it just all came out and I don't even remember it. And I was crying and sobbing and I just was trying to explain how I was feeling so much. And they just looked at each other and they said, Megan, we love you so much. It's just anxiety. It's anticipatory anxiety. My dad said it runs on his side of the family 
And they just, they handled it so well. They were so supportive. And then literally next week I had my first therapy session. That's awesome. I, uh, I really, I admire the, the way your parents handled it. Like, it sounds like they really, I'm not laughing at anything you just said. No, Something no, no, that no, happened no. with me. I went to my mom when I was in high school and I was like, mom, I think I need therapy. And she's like, really? And then she's like, I don't know, maybe you don't. And I, and I didn't end up getting it till I was like 22. And it was like the best thing that ever happened to me. Yeah. But I just always think back to that. And I'm like, you know, it's because she had never done it and she had anxiety. And so yes. I think that the idea of it, because similarly to you, she grew up thinking that when people got therapy or like had anxiety yes. or admitted that they had mental health issues, that it was like, you're going to have to go live in the loony bin because that's truly what it was like several years mm -hmm. ago. But the conversation around mental health has changed so much, even in the last five mm -hmm. years. So I really just respect the way your parents handle it. It's an ideal way to approach it. Yes. You're dealing with a kid who's already anxious. You don't need to make them more anxious. No, they handled yeah. it so well. <laughs> they just, Megan, we love you. Yeah. Megan, you're amazing. It's going to be fine. Yeah. We're just, we're going to put you in therapy and you're going to feel better. And we want you to, and they actually said, thank you for telling us now because mm -hmm. You're only 15 and you right now is a great time for you to learn all these amazing tools and tips. So the rest of your life, you know, you have a foundation. You, yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, it's, it's wonderful. But so a couple of things from that. A lot of times people talk about panic attacks as like this big, huge crying mess and like you're throwing yourself on the floor and then your body goes numb and you, you like actually feel like you're like in a comatose state yes. or like you're going to die. What you described is a little bit different. So I've often wondered like, have I had a panic attack? I'm not sure. What is a panic attack? And like, what different forms can it take from your experience? I believe a panic attack is when we as humans are thinking about too many things at once, or we're focusing on negative things, stressful things, things from the past, things we can't control. And then we get the physical symptoms. If we've been having those thoughts for long enough, and sometimes for people, they can only think things for a few minutes and then their body kind of freaks out and is too much, too much stimulation overload. I've also had personally had panic attacks that last like a week and they're kind of just. What does like, that feel like? For me, I always feel like I'm out of my body. I mm -hmm. feel like I'm on autopilot and I feel that I'm just living at this resting rate of not up, not down, but just neutral and plateauing. Those ones are harder for me to get to the root of because I'm like, you know, I feel like I'm in this funk. Is this normal? And then I'll write down on a piece of paper, well, what am I currently thinking about? Always, it's something negative. It's something I can't control. It's something repetitive. It's something from the past. So those for me are my go-tos of, okay, I know that this is anxiety then. But I really feel that panic attacks are just that simple fight or flight response that go back to caveman days where, mm -hmm. you know, we start feeling anxious in traffic and our body is reacting as if there's a lion chasing us. So it's gearing up all that adrenaline for to fight or to flight, to leave. And it's just really fascinating. In therapy, I really learned about myself and my triggers and why I got to the root of why in this certain class do I feel this way? Is it about the teacher? Is it about, you know, being around people and the fear of what if these people see me fall on the ground and I, you know, have a freak out and then I'm forever judged. Right. And so, yeah. So one other thing is you had to get up on a tremendous amount of courage to like ask your parents for help or at least to confess what was going on. Yeah. There's probably someone listening right now who's going through something that they're scared to talk about with a loved one. 
What would be your advice to them on how to get up the courage to actually have that conversation? It's so hard, but I think number one is to really get clear on what you're feeling yourself and just really write it down in a journal or talk to a friend or make a voice memo or something and just get clear about what is currently going on and then take inventory of your life and just make it as specific as possible. And I think handling it in a great way is important because I know I still have moments where I can call my mom and I'm like crying and blabbering and she just says, Megan, take it down. I can't understand you now, but just tell me what is actually going on. So I think just narrowing, it's, I call it the funnel theory of the broad thing. I feel anxious. Let's take it down a notch. What am I, what am I feeling anxious about? Take it down another notch. Do I have annoying roommates? Do I have something in my living situation? Am I eating food that's making me anxious? Am I drinking too much caffeine? My friends, my, where I live, my job might really start taking inventory And then quickly enough, I really believe that you will find out exactly what is making you anxious or my thoughts. And Mm -hmm. am I getting enough sleep in my routines? Am I exercising? But it sounds like too, picking the right person to tell is deeply important. Yeah. Because, you know, if you went to somebody who is also anxious to talk about your anxiety, (laughs) you might end up spinning together, which I just, I just hit my glass straw, but you know what I mean? That's kind of an example of what you might get if you go to another also anxious person. So some, it sounds like your mom is someone who really knows how to like level you out and be calm and steady for you. Even if she is dealing with anxiety, she can do that for you. So that's a great tip. That's so important that you said that. Mm-hmm. That is huge. If if you feel that you naturally or just in a period of your life, you're having bad anxiety, you're overthinking, you're thinking negatively, you're having panic attacks, make sure you have someone in your life who's the opposite, who's like a calm anchor, who's grounded and who can just, who's very black and white. Mm-hmm. Because like you said, when you're talking to someone else who has anxiety, you just kind of pinball off of each other. Right. And Which can be fun. It, it can be really. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. <laughs> it can be very satisfying, but you guys, eventually you'll exhaust each other. Yes. Yeah. It, it can be very fun, but you're right. It's like two peas in a pod and you're both, well, I don't know. And then this is happening and kind of like yeah. hypochondriacs just like freaking each other out. But thankfully, yes. Find two someone- peas in an anxiety pod is not the best <laughs> scenario. <laughs> No, but just find someone in your life, one person, a therapist, a friend, or someone that you can rely on and just tell these things to, and they know what to say to make you just feel your best self and mm-hmm. to not throw you further in in the spiral black hole where you just are literally like a rocket taking off to space, and you're like, what, now that I think about it, I, 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 it's been fire, I, 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 I. That's like my dad and me. So I know in my mind, I can't go to him. I go to my mom when I need to be rationalized and I need to vent. Yeah. I'm the opposite. I have to go to my dad. Sometimes I go to my mom, but I'm like, mom, I don't want your advice. I just want to tell you how I'm feeling. Please don't react. Yes. That's smart too to say that. You know, I am looking for advice or I want just to vent to you and Mm -hmm. just to hold space. Right. Yeah, it is. It's important we set boundaries with even the people we love them. Oh, especially the people we love the most. That's the hardest people to set boundaries with. So with therapy, I'm curious, like what were some of the top takeaways you learned from there that helped you learn to manage your anxiety? Yes. So when I was 15, I first started with a cognitive behavioral therapist, which is a big fancy word for basic talk therapy. It's just the simplest form. And with her, I remember each 
session once a week, I literally felt this weight off of my shoulders every time because she would say, and without any judgment. And I really enjoyed talking to someone where I felt like it was unbiased and I felt super safe. And she would say, okay, so Megan, you know, take me back in your life. How did you grow up? What are your parents like? And it was just fun each time. And then we slowly got to the root of my triggers. So that was a huge one. For me, my trigger is change, any type of change, graduating from middle school to high school, graduating high school, moving to a new city, moving friend groups. That for me is a huge trigger because it triggers me anticipating the worst and that change is bad. And so we got to the root of that. And then she also gave me this incredibly helpful workbook where I still have it now to this day. And it's really helpful for just understanding how our thoughts and our feelings and our behaviors are all connected. They're like a big web in our brain. And so if we think one way about ourselves, then we're going to feel that way, which in turn, we're going to act a certain way towards ourselves, towards other people, towards the world. But I think the biggest thing was I learned my triggers. Mm. What do you think is like the biggest misconception about therapy versus what it is in reality? I think people think it's like the movies or something where they're, I just, I don't know that it's in some like penthouse in New York and it's like, yeah, you're going to lay on a big couch. (laughs) I was shocked that there was no couch the first time I did. I mean, I was on a couch, but I didn't lay on it. Yeah. I think also it's kind of just romanticized that right when you go there, you're going to start falling and have this breakthrough. And, but really in real life, it's just you sitting in a room with someone who just is very educated and very wise. And, It's so healthy just to talk for an hour and you get to pour your heart out and say everything you're feeling. And I think it's just another person, you know, they're just helping hold the space for you to feel comfortable enough to talk so much to the point where you start making connections yourself. Right. So you get better from that. You're starting to feel like, hey, I'm ready for adventure. You decide to go do this. what, What was it called? The Rustic Pathways trips. So you decide to go do this Rustic Pathways trip where you're going to go down to New Orleans and like make a difference with other teenagers your age. You're really gun-ho about it. But then as you commit to it, each day you start getting more and more and more and more anxious about it. To the night before you have this big going away dinner, you can't even eat because you're like so hyped up and anxious and biting your nails. And you wake up the next morning and you have a big breakdown Mm -hmm. and say, you can't do it. Mm -hmm. Take me through what was going through your mind and how you ultimately decided to go. So that morning, my mom woke me up at about 6 a.m. for my flight. She's like, Megan, today's the day you're going to New Orleans. Aren't you so excited? And it was my summer going into my junior year of high school. And I immediately flipped out and I was like, this is too real. It's too real. I shouldn't have signed up. I was too eager, too confident. What's happening? Because we signed up about three months prior and then the build up to it was, oh my gosh, you know, it's this, it's, it's, it's this in the future thing. I'll, it'll happen when I get there. I'll think about it when I get there. Today's the day, girl. I mean, I flipped out and I felt like I was in fetal position and I just couldn't do it because I was thinking the plane's going to crash. I'm going to catch a disease when I'm in New Orleans. I'm not going to make any friends. I'm going to get so homesick. I'm going to have to fly back. Like it's once again, it's all going to be negative worst case scenario, me embarrassing myself. And 
I, my mom and my dad came back in my room and they're like, what's wrong? You're on the floor. You're freaking out. And I was literally unpacking my suitcase, putting it back in my closet. Oh. Cause I said, I can't do this. I, we, we made the wrong choice. I, I'm going to die. That's what I really thought. And that's, that's what anxiety does. It, it just tricks. It's awful because it really tricks your mind into believing that, you know, no one likes you and you're all of these horrible things. But and then my dad kind of was like, oh, I don't know. Oh, my gosh. He can't handle the poor guy. He's just so. so I, I, just, feel, I, I feel you. Yeah. Same way in my house with my mom. <laughs> he just was like, oh, Courtney, what do we do? Yeah. She can't. Poor thing. And my mom's like, Ted, out. Out the door. Get out. And then she closed the door. and she's Ted? Like, <laughs> Ted. She's like, Ted, get a hold of yourself. And she's like, Megan? look at me. And she's just like the strong one. So yeah. I'm so glad she's my mom. She's like, Megan, look at me. You are going to do this. Your future self will thank you. I am dragging you to the airport. You have to do this. If you do not, you will. She's, she just kept on saying, you will regret it later if you do not do this. Cause this right now, it's a, what are you going to choose? Fear or faith? What are you going to mm. choose? You have that option right now. You're in the moment. Your hands are shaking. Just go. I prompt. She's like, I'm your mother. She really talked me off a ledge. She just kept saying, I'm your mother. I promise you, I would not sign you up for something where I, you're not jumping off of a skyscraper building. It's okay. And so like the tears subsided, I felt more like I could breathe. And then I just had this, you know, epiphany of she's right because this now is such a great practice moment for not letting the anxiety win. And in those moments where you feel so much fear of what if the plane crashes? What if I get that? What if that person says that thing? What if they never like me? What if I fail? We don't have to listen to that negative voice. And so I just trusted and it was literally the best trip of my whole entire life. And I still talk to people from that trip now as we're adults and it changed my life. But she was so right because she really was training me, even in moments when I would, you know, in high school, I'd call her from the nurse's office saying, mom, my stomach hurts. I can't. She'd say, stay in school and hang up. <laughs> you're fine. Hang up. I was so mad at her. And I'm like, I'm your daughter and you're not listening to me. But she was really, thankfully, training me to handle those situations and to push through it. Yeah. Even when she you're was giving you resiliency. I know. That's an incredible tool that so many people lack. And really, I think it's one of the most important tools to be a human in this world. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I love this other thing you said. And I, I don't know if you even realize it, but you said your mom kept saying you're going to regret it. If anything, the thing we should be anxious about is regret. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Like we shouldn't be anxious to live. Yes. You know, we should be anxious that we never got to live. It's it's the truest thing, and that's something. My dad's amazing too, but he. He's my just, mom is the most amazing person on earth, and you know she has been so encouraged. Like for everything that matters, she's very encouraging. Yeah. Like for me coming out here and pursuing my dreams, for going toward music and and broadcasting and even acting. Like she's always been my number one fan. It's like the little day to day things that she's like, just stay in your house. <laughs> You know, I mean, yes. she's just, you know, and that's her own anxiety. And it's obviously like transposed to me. Mm -hmm. But I think it's really awesome that you had that balance. Yes. Yeah. I, it, w it was such a great balance because I knew in my head I made the connection early on of, okay, so if like I want to be coddled and just kind of, mm -hmm. oh, Megan, you poor, like I go to my dad if I want something. But my mom is just going to be 
Megan. <laughs> I mean, with so much love, but it was just, you're so right though. And I'm so thankful that I am now my, my comfort level is wanting to do things outside my comfort zone yeah. because I know every time I can anticipate happily that awesome feeling of I did it. Holy, you know, cow. I didn't think I could go zip lining. I could travel there. I could, I don't know anything. Well, your whole career is based upon things that most people find to be the scariest endeavors in life. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> people are probably, I think they say more afraid of public speaking than dying. Yes. So you're definitely facing your fears. No, that's so true. I just feel very lucky that even though I still have anxiety, I still call my mom. I still yeah. FaceTime her about 10 times a day. And I, I mean, like, listen, we're not going to be able to completely shift the way we innately are, yes. but we can find tools to deal with it. Yes. And to come out on the other side and not let our our triggers get the best of us. Mm. So, okay, you make it through high school. You go on this amazing trip. Everything's groovy. You get into college. And something starts to not feel right. Tell me about the voice that started, you know, your inner voice, not like a weird, creepy, random voice, but your inner voice that started talking to you to say like, hey, Megan, you need to make a change. Yes. So it was my second year. I was at Santa Monica City College in LA and I felt unhappy and I had a really hard time differentiating. Is this anxiety or is this just unhappiness? you know, what's the difference? And I don't know what's going on. And I just noticed every single day. And by the way, I mean, academics wasn't my passion growing up. I was, I always loved drama. I loved PE. I loved moving my body. I loved acting. And so I just started noticing how unhappy I was and just something I noticed. And then in January of 2016, the unhappiness started manifesting itself kind of physically. Mm. I would get really bad stomach aches and really weird sore throats. That's and so interesting. Yeah. Because the throat is expression. I know. Yeah. Yes. You're spiritual, right? Super spiritual. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yes. Throat chakra. Just wanted to make sure I was sitting with a fellow weirdo. <laughs> Yes. And I just remember calling my mom and mom, I got another sore throat, but I went on these antibiotics, these from the urgent care CVS minute clinic, nothing's happening. What nothing, it keeps on coming back. And I, something just feels off. And we had so many conversations. And then I also remember telling her, you know, I'm also kind of not really happy in college. And I don't know if it's just something is wrong with me, or I'm just, this school isn't the best fit for me, or I don't know what's going on. And She's like, Megan, just, you're fine. It's just anxiety. Probably you're fine. You're fine. Just be happy. Just be excited. Be grateful. Be positive. And then, yes, once early of 2016, I just woke up one day. It was like a Saturday. And I remember going for a walk outside. I'm like, it's sunny. And something felt really wrong. It's just that intuitive, you know it in your body, you know when something's off. And I kept thinking as a girl, oh my gosh, is it that time of the month? Is it? It was this horrible lower, lower back pain, like by my tailbone. And I didn't know what was going on. And then throughout the rest of the day, I was just sitting in my living room like, this is really painful. And I took Advil. I did everything. I took a nap. And then by four o'clock later that day, the pain was horrible. It was excruciating. And I, none of my roommates were home. And I just started throwing myself into an anxiety spiral because I, oh my gosh, is this an appendicitis? Is this a kidney stone? What's happening? Is this, oh my gosh, this is horrible. So I drove myself to a CVS Minute Clinic and they did a bunch of tests and they gave me antibiotics for a UTI. And then 
basically because of your back pain I know <laughs> that's I, I I'm just picturing my I it was such a sad sad moment because I remember sitting in the office like where's my mom? I don't know what's going on. And I feel so horrible. So that moment, getting those antibiotics for about seven and a half months, I was constantly (gasps) misdiagnosed. And you were on antibiotics that whole time. Your poor gut. I know it was gnarly. I tried 18 different antibiotics in the seven months, just one after another. And kept on thinking, oh my gosh, it's... And that was probably making your anxiety worse because yes. the like most of the serotonin is in the gut and Fully. you're killing all the gut flora. I was living in a weird <laughs> twilight zone. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I was so unhappy and I this my anxiety was out of control and I constantly was fearing. Every other week too, I would go to the ER, the hospital, a, a urologist and just get all these tests done. And they would say, oh, you have endometriosis. You have diabetes. You have, I'm like, what is, what is happening? And you have um, this, you could have an STD. And I'm like, what? At that, I- <laughs> that point, you're like, I draw the line here. <laughs> I am drawing the line. <laughs> what is happening? This is not me. It was just such a hard time in my life. And then meanwhile, my parents knew what was happening the whole time. And I slowly started failing all my classes in community college, which was hard. And it was just a living nightmare, to be honest, because for someone who naturally gets anxious and overthinks to have their health, they're constantly being misdiagnosed and they don't know, they can't you know, have that comfort of what's wrong with me. I just need to know, just give me a diagnosis and we can move on. And so I had MRIs and CAT scans and ultrasounds and everything. And every single test, they say, Megan, you're fine. There's nothing wrong with you. You're a healthy 20 year old. You're fine. And then, but then I would have the pain again and I would feel so sad and hopeless. And so my mom had been reading the whole time these books about the medical medium, Anthony Williams, his books, which are so powerful. And she, you know, Megan, this guy is really powerful. Maybe we should try. I mean, what are you eating? What are you drinking? It could be, you know, affecting your health and your pain. And so this was just such a crazy moment. Um, we, she, at the time he had a channel on a radio show and he was doing a free giveaway for a two minute reading over the phone. This is in 2016. And if you want it, you would get time with him. And she's like, we're putting our name in. Cause I, if we get this, this will change your life. And we'll, I, f- I feel strongly. She has a motherly intuition. She said, I feel strongly Megan that he will know what to do. And so she put our names in, and this is with 5,000 other people, which is a lot, a lot. (laughs) And he picked her, which is so incredible. And it still gives me goosebumps to this day. And I feel that would strongly happen for a reason because talking to him over the phone, not even in person, I felt this wave of hope just flow through me. Mm. And I felt all my sadness and that hope, that trapped hopelessness, my life will never, it just literally melted away the moment he started saying, well, hey, Megan, this is Anthony. I was like, oh my gosh. And he basically said, you have the strep virus. It's in your colon. And so we're going to shift your whole diet around. You're in pain because you're eating dairy, you're drinking this, you're doing that. And it's in, it's, you're basically causing so much inflammation to the virus and you need to fully change your lifestyle right now. And so I went fully vegan. I cut out like alcohol, caffeine, sugar, gluten, wheat, dairy, everything. Oh my gosh. And what did you eat? I, like what was a typical day during that time? It, it was a lot of guacamole. It was a lot of hummus, a lot of veggies, white rice, and like salmon. Mm. 
very clean, really healthy, but it was just, and he gave me a list of all of these herbs and supplements to take. And he also said at the end of the phone call, you know, Megan, what spirit is telling me is that you're really unhappy and your body, yes, you have the strep virus, but it's being triggered and it was dormant, but now it's coming up right now because you need to trust yourself. And then he just hung up and I was like... <laughs> Wow. Well, you left me with a lot there, Anthony. <laughs> I know. Think you could have increased the call to four minutes? I And then, so that changed my life. And basically after that, because when I was sick, right a week before I had talked to him, I thought the rest of my life was going to be in chronic pain. I thought I was going to be not bedridden, but just low energy, mm-hmm. really not happy, not Because yeah. for me... I love moving. I love movement. That makes mm-hmm. me feel good. I love exercising. I love dancing. And I, I couldn't do that. And that was why I was so unhappy. And then I made a bucket list when I was lying in bed one night of all the things I wished I had tried when I was healthier. Because I this time also allowed me to just look at my life. And why why am I not happy? What mm-hmm. Why haven't I followed my dreams? Oh my gosh. This is... It really... When you have a near-death experience or a health scare or something, mm-hmm. you really get to just look at your life and think, what makes me happy? Whoa, I should live my life. Yeah. You know? I mean, and it must have been scary that it happened so young, but in a way you were so blessed that it happened to you so young because mm-hmm. at that point you were able to shift your perspective and do what made you happy. A lot of people don't have this realization until they're 30, 40, 50, 60, 70. I know. And that's why yeah. looking back, I'm like, girl, that was the best thing that ever happened yeah. to you because it just happened at the perfect time, perfect crossroads. You're confused about your life boom, you're good. And um, it just, it was so powerful. And I remember this bucket list. I still have it. I actually have it framed in my apartment now as motivation. Mm. It was just, you know, little things of, I wish I made a YouTube channel. Why don't I go out and try things? Because before I was so insecure. So, well, I don't have the money. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not skinny. I'm not. And then this health scare, I felt, no, Megan, you're, no, just do it. Just do it. And then so, from that, yes, once I got the healing from that moment on, I like left community college. I was like a new person, a phoenix rising from the ashes. And I. A phoenix rising from the antibiotics. <laughs> <laughs> That's a new title. Reinvigorating oh my gosh. her gut flora. She took on the world. Oh my gosh. I love that. And so, yeah, I, I started fully in August of 2016. I started speaking at local YMCAs boys and girls clubs for uh-huh. free. I went to Toastmasters. I made a YouTube channel. I did I just dove headfirst cuz I was like I'm I, my health is back. That's all I prayed for. Let's go. So, okay, lots of good stuff to break down there. Number 1, a lot of people will go through something like that and mm-hmm. still be like, "Oh, no, I think I'm going to go back to exactly what I was doing." Mm-hmm. How did you get the courage to go boldly toward what felt right despite the fact that it wasn't exactly what society fit into their perfect little box? My health scare, because it was the perfect amount. I just feel that the universe knew this is what Megan needs, and it's going to be the exact perfect amount of time that Megan needs to have to realize, wait, I, I, I don't like school. That doesn't make me happy. I'm not happy, and I have the power to make that shift. I don't want to. I want to do all these things. That time was still, and still is my main motivator. Of I remember vividly praying for like a whole day where I didn't have this pain and I didn't feel restricted by pills or doctor's appointments or anything. So for me personally, it was enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah, as it should be. (laughs) But a lot of people still don't. It's wild. And then how did you start actually 
getting those speaking gigs? Like, did you make a video and send it to them? How did you approach being like, I'm a speaker when you've never spoken before? Yes. Really, I just started with a YouTube channel and I would start on Facebook, all social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, YouTube, everything. I would do live videos. I would do Q and A's. I mean, it was, it just, it was many, 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 many months, almost years of just speaking for free and just getting it at anything, you know, a rotary meeting, a chamber of commerce of Santa Monica meeting, anything where I could just speak, I would do it. And I didn't worry about the money or anything else. I just knew I was passionate about it and I wanted to help other people. I also volunteered with a lot of teen mentoring programs in LA, like big brother, big sister, mm-hmm. LATM works and it just was all these after school programs where I could one on one work with a teenager and inspire them and yeah I w- I would just send like 500 emails a day and just have my little email signature and my media kit and did you make all that yourself? Yes. Wow. <laughs> so how did you figure out cuz obviously it makes so much sense that your platform is anxiety mm. and specifically anxiety in teenagers and how to help them but how did you figure out your platform and then exactly the points you wanted to hit in each speech. I first started out by just sharing my life story because that felt comfortable to me and I knew it. So I started out by doing that. And then at every Toastmasters meeting, they would tape you when you talked. So then you would get it back after and you got to review it yourself and what you feel you you love sharing from your a different perspective. And then I would go home and watch it and then think, okay, well, what do I feel really made people laugh? And it hit well and what felt right to me. And I just kind of, you know, altered and tailored it and then perfected it. But I do have to say every school that I speak at, I I try not, this is just my personal opinion, I try not to do the same talk over and over again. I try to really feel out the energy of the teenagers at each middle school or high school. I really just try to open it up just what I feel they need. And if there's a specific topic that the teacher or school nurse has told me to focus on, you know, our teenagers are struggling with juuling or vaping or people have said that. Um, I believe it. Yeah. Our, our teenagers are struggling with self-harm. Our students are, you know, bullying is huge. So then I'll kind of just really fit it to their needs and just be an open, honest book. Did you get bullied at all in high school? No, I got bullied in middle school. (laughs) I was on a volleyball team and there was, I got bullied on that a lot. It's interesting to me that you focus on anxiety in teenagers because to me, and this is a very personal experience, but like my teenage experience was so much easier than what my life experience has been. Yeah. And I found real life, especially pursuing a creative path to be so much more difficult than high school because I had stability. I had my parents who I knew loved me and I had really good people around Mm me. So for me, it's like, but also I can't really completely compare because I didn't have social media in the way that it was for you or especially for kids now. Yes. Like we had MySpace and at the tail end we had Facebook, but we didn't have Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, all these things they have. I'm curious to know how having like all of those social platforms affected you, but is affecting kids now in a different way than it maybe would have in my generation? Yes. It's it's brutal. Every single school that I've spoken at, and in my own experience, just 
having all these platforms, it makes me personally feel that I have to constantly keep up Mm -hmm. and that I'm missing out on something if I don't. That's why I feel worse now than I did when I was a teenager. Yes. Honestly, I feel it's so much harder now as a 31-year-old than it was when I was 15. Yes. No, I feel the complete... But like, I guess with their brains, like it would be even harder. Yes. Because your brain is still so in development mode. Yes. And it's... I mean, it's not easy at all. And it breaks my heart because there's a lot of teenagers after I do a talk, they'll come up after me and ask me questions or they'll DM me and they'll say, well, Megan, I mean, you talked a lot about loving yourself and managing your time on social media, but they just, I don't think, I mean, their brains are still developing. So they don't have like what we may have as like the full blown awareness of this person on social media, you know, there's Photoshop. There's mm-hmm. a lot of things that go into that. But I think teenagers, because when I was a teenager, I, I, I wasn't aware. I didn't have that pre-awareness of, okay, I'm about to open up my phone. And just like, I know that there's things, filters and there's apps and there's all this. But I think when teenagers, they go, they're just, oh my gosh. This is reality. Th- no, this is real. Mm-hmm. And I have to, I should strive to be like this because, but it's just, it's not obtainable. And I tell them trying to be perfect and trying to achieve all of these, these things that society promotes in media, it's just the race to nowhere. Mm-hmm. It's that constant. Once I have whiter teeth, once I have that, once I have that, I will be happier, but it's just not true. Yeah. And I think it's, but it's an even harder lesson to teach someone that mm-hmm. when we do see tangible rewards from people on social media, like we see people on there yes. who have millions of followers and are making millions of dollars. So how do you actually make a kid realize that their worth is in themselves when they're seeing someone who's got this like high social worth yes, and they're making money from it, which is what our society values more than anything is money and looks. Mm -hmm. And that's everything that's being glamorized on there. Mm -hmm. So it's like, how do, not only do we teach our kids, but ourselves that, because that's something I've been struggling with hard lately. (laughs) Me too. And here's the other thing that I just learned recently. So I produce the Goop podcast, Goop Fellas, all these other ones. And on that, one of those shows, they talked to this expert who was going back to caveman times Mm -hmm. and apparently like social media triggers the same thing in our brain that we would have triggered. Like if somebody doesn't like a picture or unfollows us, it triggers the same thing in your brain as if you got abandoned by your tribe. Like you broke your leg and you got exiled by them and abandoned and left behind. Right. So when somebody like unfollows us or doesn't like a photo or doesn't comment on a photo, it feels, it triggers that same thing, Mm -hmm. which is why it is so deeply triggering and upsetting when those kind of things happen, even though it's like, logically it's like, okay, so the person didn't want to see my feet anymore. Who cares? But it's so, but on a a primitive mm, level, mm -hmm. it makes you feel like you are going to die. Like you went back to and get left behind by the tribe. So it's like, how, how do we, first of all, like heal our own minds in this landscape, but especially for younger people, how, how do we like, how do we do it? And I, I, you might not have an answer. I don't have an answer. Yes. But like, how are you working toward that in your own life to like realize when someone doesn't like your photo or someone unfollows you that your worth is still your worth? Right. Cause we're still, we're still a human being. We're yeah. still alive. We're still, I mean, and I, especially when what you want to do is tied to that. Like, I know, you know, it's like people are going to sp- book you based on your followers. Sometimes yes. people are going to like give you more money for a post yes. based on how many followers yes. or how much engagement yes. you have. Like, how do you not yes. associate with that? Or how are you working on it? It's I'm trying right now. It's I'm not succeeding. 
<laughs> yes. I I have one I have in my apartment many things that I have written that would just say Megan scrolling will never make you feel better. Mm-hmm. Scroll like the mindlessly when you just enter a black hole and you're like, "Oh, now that it's my cousin's second aunt's oh n- no." <laughs> Put the phone down. Calm down. I like to really just push onto teenagers. And I know a part of a part of me knows they're teenagers. We all were one. We know how it is. They're going to do what they want to do at the end of the day. But I have this hour with them and I can just really like push on some positivity and some self-love and hopefully they absorb it. And I just like to remind them that social media, Instagram is just an app. Yeah. If you deleted it, would you die? No. no. And yes, for me, I use social media so much for my business. So I have to really balance that and really pull myself out of that part of me that wants to just feel so only validated by my likes and my comments and my followers and how many subscribers and how many views did I get on this YouTube video. But I have to really pull myself out of it and not get sucked in. Because for me, that triggers that old, younger teenage Megan, the younger teenager Megan (laughs) that wants to feel she's never good enough. Like in high school, Mm -hmm. when I, why don't I look like her? Why don't I look like those people? That's what it triggers for me of just, you know, the fear of missing out, the FOMO, the, I didn't, I did something bad. I don't deserve this. Mm. So I just, I, every time I speak at a school, I just keep it really real. And I share my own story of even, you know, you all may see me on social media. Don't ever for one second compare yourself to me. Don't ever think, I mean, these photos, it's for a reason. It's a business. It's, it's really, it's not that. And to also just remember, this is a screenshot of a person even if they're in front of a Lamborghini, they're on a private jet, they have perfect pearly white teeth. You know, have you photoshopped? It's not a real Lamborghini. No, I'm kidding. No, but it's, (laughs) it might be, it's good to raise awareness Mm -hmm. though, to keep it real for the people that get triggered by things like that. And it doesn't make them feel better for some people. They can scroll like my mom and she'll be like, yeah, yeah. But I want to be your mom when I grow up. (laughs) Courtney. Oh my gosh. Courtney Gallagher. Mentor me. She is a stone cold killer. Yeah. She's, yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> She's just this sage wise person yeah. who is just on this planet. She sounds like a baby Buddha. The thing she says, <laughs> Megan, gosh, like think positively. Don't you want to feel? She always used to say that to me when I was younger. She would always say, Megan, don't you want to feel better? I have a question for you because I, I totally believe in all that. Yes. But did you ever feel like she wasn't acknowledging how you were actually feeling in that moment when she would say those things? That is such a good point. In the moment, I had many times where I would scream at her and say, I'm your daughter and you're forcing me to go to school when I'm telling you, hello, I have a stomach ache and you're not listening to me. So that means you don't love me. But what I have realized and she has told me is that what she was doing was deep down, of course, it's your child. She probably wanted to cry. It breaks your heart when you see your child crying and they're afraid to go to school and they're afraid of everything. She was just not reacting in the moment because she knew that it would make me more anxious. Courtney. So she, she does it again. No, I know. <laughs> so, but she, so she was smart and she knew what she yeah. was doing. And so, of course, I mean, she loves me. She loves my sister. She lo- She's such a loving person, but she knows me like better than anyone. And she knew that if she were to react with, oh, Megan, you're right. Now that I think about it, wait, we should, you know just kind of freak out that it would 
I needed an anchor. I needed mm-hmm. a rock. I needed someone who wouldn't budge because I'm like, I'm going to die. I'm My arm's falling off. I'm going to freak out. Every The world's ending. And she just wouldn't react. Right. Yeah. Did you ever try medication or have you always done it just with therapy and, you know, meditation and those kind of tools? I know that there are so many people who need medication who take it. I feel that my anxiety wasn't severe enough to where I needed it. I have just relied off of meditation, journaling, tapping, Mm. alternate nostril breathing. What's Um, that? Oh, I've never heard of this. Alternate nostril breathing. Yeah. So it's basically where you inhale. Whoops. And then push on the other one. And so you kind of just inhale, exhale. It's Mm. (laughs) take your turn just doing that. But basically. But you press while you're inhaling, you press one nostril down and then you press the other one down. You kind of just go back and forth. I already feel more calm after doing it once. And sorry to subject you listener to the sound of my nostrils, but you should really try (laughs) it. That, that helped a lot. So the more that you do that, you're actually, because if you think about it, Throughout the day, we're sitting in traffic, we're, we're at work, we're like freaking out, we're mm-hmm. like, oh my God, da, da, da. you are shallow breathing, you're breathing in your chest, you're just, yeah. oh my gosh, oh, I have to run errands, I have to go to CBS, I have to make dinner, I have to go see my friends, I have to walk my dog. That's what we as humans do, that's what society in this world, day and age, but when you actually like use your diaphragm, your lower stomach, when you engage that in your breathing, like push it out, who cares if you look weird, when you push it out. You just allow the your breath to go deeper. Same with the alternate nostril breathing. You allow the oxygen to, one, just be, like, in your body and not just shallow breathing where you feel lightheaded or constantly anxious. But you allow the left side and the right side of your brain to rebalance and to just, like, wow. calm and recenter. Any other tips? These are gems. Yes. <laughs> So I also love Wim Hof, the Ice Man. I love man. Wim Hof. I know. He's so great. He, he has an amazing breathing technique. Um, it's called and, the Wim Hof Method. Yes. And I think he has an app now, right? Yes. Yeah. It's so powerful. I recently have tried that. I introduced my dad to it. It's so amazing. But if you Google Wim Hof breathing method, it will pop up. He It's basically using your – pushing out your stomach like <laughs> – <laughs> kind of a three part series. And the more that you do it, it just, it's so powerful. These Mm -hmm. deep breathing methods, because you just, it regrounds you and it brings you back to the present moment. And you actually, for me, I start feeling like I'm back in my body and Mm -hmm. I'm not kind of on autopilot. Which is what anxiety does, especially for you. You said it's very much, you feel like you're not in your body. Exactly. Wow. I feel like I'm floating above my body and just kind of numb and kind of just doing the motions like when you drive for a long time and you feel like you black out and you're mm-hmm. just muscle member and you're like wait how did I get here yeah. oh it's because when that's what happens with anxiety we know how to go shopping at the grocery store but our mind is like oh it just spiraled off yeah and then we're just like okay you know so amazing amazing techniques I want to get to some of the other creative things you do yes. you've got you know we've talked about your YouTube we've talked about your social media we've talked about your speaking you're also a best-selling author yes tell me about this I am That's <laughs> a, amazing a best-selling author on Amazon in the nonfiction department I have written three books currently working on the fourth it's about my health scare and my awakening and how I became to who I am now in my journey of 
following my passions and just having that crazy life altering experience because I really do want to inspire people to trust that when hardships happen, I believe strongly it does happen for a bigger reason than in the moment we can understand. And it's it's just to trust your journey. And even though that time in the moment, it was so challenging and I felt so not like myself and I felt so uncomfortable and sad and angry, It's it was just the best thing that could have happened for me, actually, because I needed that wake-up call of, Megan, you're not happy, your body's not happy, your emotions are manifesting themselves physically, you need a change. And you can't lie to yourself about, I just, I knew that I needed that. And so the other three books are, the first one is called, Why Don't I Look Like Her? Oh. And that was something I used to say to myself when I was in high school. It's for teen girls, it's about body image issues, self-love. And then the second one is you can choose your thoughts because I like to empower people to remember that if you ever feel anxious, overwhelmed, write down your thoughts, literally write them pen and a paper. What exactly are you thinking about? Because it really strongly dictates our emotions. And if we have a pit in our stomach all day long, if we feel sick or hot, of course, there could be other reasons, but I really believe our thoughts are extremely powerful. Mm-hmm. And to take responsibility for them and to know that they all go somewhere, they all have a meaning, they all have a purpose. And so think responsibly and take action, take charge. Don't just go on autopilot. You can, you should make shirts that say that. Think responsibly. Oh, yeah, because it's like, ooh, <laughs> that's smart. And then the last one is everything is happening for you, not to you. Mm. Did you self publish all these? Yes. Wow. Self-publish them all, yeah. How did you go about writing them? Did you make an outline? How did you do it? I strongly just knew that I wanted to get it out, so I would make a Word document, make an outline of beginning, middle, end, and just who I want to dedicate it to, and it was just a really fun experience. They're all under 100 pages, so they're really easy and simple and interactive, and the Everything is Happening for You, Not to You book It's an interactive workbook that teenagers, anyone can use, but it helps you take situations in your life and then you can flip around and see the blessing in it. You know, maybe that thing did happen, but it led me to this person. Mm -hmm. It taught me that. It opened my eyes to this. And so now I'm a changed person. So I like them all short and fun to the point, interactive and just easy and quick. What's your advice for someone else who wants to write a book? I would say do it. You're a boss. You can do anything. (laughs) And I would say just start. Don't, Don't start getting worried about how or when or who or what or why. Just write it when you feel that just thought come in your head. Just channel right. Let it out. And then... When it comes time to like, how am I going to publish this? Or is there a public, am I going to, what, what, just, just start, just Mm -hmm. do it. Cause those ideas, they could go away. Then you'll in five years think, wait, that was, I remember, I can't remember what I wanted to say. I think just go all in and stay committed to, for me, I my biggest struggle was finding two to three hours every day. To like dedicate, Megan, this is time to write and to not get distracted. But also if you have that problem of you get distracted, you ADHD, you can hire a ghost writer and they can write it for you. And there are many, you can get a literary agent, you can self-publish on Amazon, you can pitch it to a publishing company. I mean, there's many ways to Mm -hmm. write a book, but my best tips would be 
do just, it. Yeah, just do it. Don't don't get so worried about, oh, I don't know, these people opinions is just start and then just allow the things to, you know, happen. So when you're in the midst of all this and building your career, how were you supporting yourself? Because you mentioned not getting paid for a while. Yes. Did you have a side job? Were, you, were your parents able to help you? Like, how did you make it all work? Yes. My parents were helping me fully in the beginning. Right. They, they knew Megan, you know, this means a lot to you. We can see that you're very passionate. So we do not mind helping you financially and we will just be there for you. And it really wasn't until January, like January of 2019 that I actually started making my own money. Wow. And it was a little bit, you know, $400 here, $100 there, but it, it really, it slowly started adding up from YouTube and social media and blog posts and collaborating with people. The main way I personally make my money is speaking engagements, but it takes time. But yeah, I feel very lucky though that my parents had the financial means to support me and that they were, they're so open-minded. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like they're great all around, but when you do think about it, like a lot of, if you are blessed enough to have the parents that can support you to go to college, it makes just as much, if not more sense that they would support you when you're actually in the field and you're like not going to college Mm -hmm. because it's probably a lot less money in the long run. I know. And that's what my parents always said, even yeah. even in 2018, when I'm like, oh my gosh, it's been two years and I feel so much guilt. And oh my gosh, am I mm-hmm. running my parents dry of money? And yeah. <laughs> what's, I want them to retire and be happy. And my dad would say, Megan, you didn't really go to college. So think of this as we're paying. Your college. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You went to the school of hard knocks. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Just a few more questions. What do you think the difference between gut and anxiety is if you had to put it in a sentence? Wow. You could have a few sentences. I don't want to put that much pressure on it. In one sentence. One sentence definitively for all time. No, because it's hard to tell sometimes. Like, what is my yes. gut versus what is anxiety? I think it's a difference in feeling in the body, but I'm curious to hear what you think it is. I think a gut feeling is harder to shake. I think if it's a gut feeling about I'm not in the right relationship, I'm not in the right mm. living situation, I'm not... Um, just something is off. I think it's harder to shake a gut feeling. I think anxiety, you can do things to, you can go on a run and then you'll feel better. But in my situation, the health scare of when I knew I wasn't happy and every day I would come home and school's not my passion. I just know it. I just couldn't shake it wherever I went. Even when I did work out, even when I did go on a hike, even when I did things that I knew would make me happy, it just was still like right around the corner. Yeah. And it was, Yeah, it just, it felt different too, though, in my body. Anxiety felt like a pit in my stomach. And then the gut feeling to me felt just this overall knowingness of just, I I know in my heart and my soul something else. You know, it's so interesting. When you were talking, I got this really vivid image, weirdly, of you walking up a mountain, like a hike. (laughs) And then you're holding the hand of like some bad entity. Yeah. And when it's anxiety, you can just release the hand. Yes. And it will tumble down the mountain. Yeah. When it's a gut feeling, that bad entity's attached to you. Yes. And so you need to surgically remove it by taking a different course. Wow. Yeah. That was pow- – oh my gosh. <laughs> I don't know why, but that that is like – that is a great way to explain it. Anxiety is something you can shake because it's not really real. Yes. But a gut is something that's attached to you and you have to completely take a different course in order to 
rid yourself of that bad feeling. Yes. I love that. Also, when I was younger, like I was in, I was had this boyfriend and I just remember that to me, I compared it to my health scare because that relationship was super negative. It wasn't mm-hmm. good for me. And I, everything to me, it didn't feel right. And I couldn't shake it. And I, I couldn't force myself to be happy. But anxiety, I think you can do simple things. And you're like, oh my gosh, I just danced around my room for 30 minutes, essential oils. I did some <laughs> meditations. I did some just like affirmations, some chakra opening sounds. But gut feeling, it's just, I don't think no matter how many things you can change, you can organize your room, you can mm-hmm. declutter, you can, it just, it will not leave until you make that, like address it and make mm-hmm. that change. Yeah. Okay. Two more questions. You do a lot of posts on your Instagram mm-hmm. and it seems like you have a lot of partnerships yes. that you do. How did you go about seeking those and like, why did you want to do that? I wanted to do it because that's what I saw other people were doing. To be honest, I just, I thought it'd be a smart idea when I was first starting out to make a list of all of the women that I look up to, all of my idols and their social media accounts, and just to see what they're doing. I really believe that everyone has their own formula to success and how they got to where they are. And I was like, you know, I think this is a smart idea, collaborating with companies, making money, paid sponsorships. And so a lot of it, all all of it though, is companies and like snack bars and drinks and everything that I personally use. I would never promote something that's fake. So I felt that it was just a smart move. I think it can help you gain traffic and followers and help the company. And I also just love hosting and modeling and taking pictures. And I think it's fun. And so I went about it. I would just DM them. But when I was first getting started, I would take pictures with their stuff and just post it and just be like, I love this. This is my favorite products. And then 100% of the time, the companies would reach out to me and say, hey, do you want us to send you a free box of our latest flavor of peanut butter almond bars and then they would and then that would be the actual paid advertisement wow so i would take pictures of my favorite stuff have someone take my pictures a little cute video and then post it and then i swear every single time because companies are hungry for people with a following or to just promote their stuff free advertisements yeah that's great great little yes (laughs) okay so my final question has to do with your younger self yeah i believe creativity is deeply connected to the inner child Mm -hmm. So whatever age you think of little Megan, mm. I mean, I don't know how old do you think she is. How old do you see her in your head? I saw five. Okay, five. So you're standing with five-year-old Megan in a room mm-hmm. and you're looking at each other. Mm. What do you think the five-year-old version of yourself would say to you now and why? Oh, I feel like she would say, you made it. <laughs> Just, you did it. You look at you now. Because I was, even when I was three years old, I had such bad anxiety. I was always freaked out, wanting my mom, constantly crying, overwhelmed. And then it's been a long journey, but you made it, girl. (laughs) And what would you say to her and why? I would just say you are too young to be worrying this much. Even though for me, it's hereditary and it's kind of hard if you're if it's you know the way the way that your brain is wired it's hard to re hardwire it but I would I would really say you're just too young to be worrying this much and half of the things that you're worrying about will never happen Mm. 
Well, thank you for being here and sharing your story and so many amazing tips. Thank you so much, Lauren. (laughs) And even though you are much younger than me, I look up to you. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I look up to you. (laughs) Thanks, girl. Thank you for listening and thank you to our guest, Megan Gallagher. For more info on Megan, follow her at Megan W. Gallagher, subscribe to her YouTube page, and check out her new podcast called Reaching New Heights. And again, thank you. If you like the show, please leave a rating and review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Take a screenshot of yourself listening and post it wherever you're on social media, on Twitter or IG stories. Then tag at Unleash Your Inner Creative and at Lauren LaGrasso and I'll repost to show my gratitude. You can stream my new single, Rise, on all music platforms. And check out my People article by Googling Lauren LaGrasso People Magazine. My wish for you this week is you let go of labels that don't serve you. Remember to stick around to hear my song inspired by the word bird and do this week's creative challenge, which is to create anything that is inspired by the word blue. All right. Talk to you soon. I love you and I believe in you and stick around for the song. Up and acting like a bird that cut her own wings, tied herself to the ground so she doesn't sing, trying hard to forget. My own nature Look at me on a good Don't make a sound I'll only eat the seeds You're throwing down I'm just here to serve What do you need? Anything I'll never ruffle any feathers But I could fly Reclaim my space inside the sky Yet I stand Being a good girl is the root of all fear. Being a good girl is the root of all fear.